Our Heavenly Father, we come again before you. Lord, we bask in knowing the privilege of your presence as we worship you together now. We thank you, Father, that you have called us to do so and that you have promised to work through your spirit, through this word in our lives to change us, Lord, and indeed to challenge and refresh and comfort us and to conform us evermore into the image of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we come again as your people. We come desirous to hear the voice of our Savior in this word. And we ask, speak, for your servants are listening. We ask this all in his name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse 18. Once more, please give your full attention. This is the word of God. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they cannot endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of all things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The word of the Lord. Amen. Well, it is a delight to be back with you all this morning. <clears throat> to be back in the saddle, as they say, and we come to a new year. <clears throat> and um, January, you may know, is named um, for the Roman uh, uh, Roman mythology, the Roman god Janus, right? He is the god who looks both ways. It's the beginning of a year. All the wrapping paper is cleaned up from our presence. The tree is put away. We're getting back to our normal lives. And we realize the struggles and the difficulties and the pains are all still here. It's important that we look back at what God has done in light of these, this reality and look forward to what's ahead. His promises for his people, his ultimate promises for the future, and his close promises even for right now for our lives. Promises that though we return to our lives full of brokenness and stress in this fallen world, that God will be with his people to dwell with them forever in glory. And God will be with his people to sustain them through life in this pilgrim land here and now. One of the gracious and wonderful ways the Lord strengthens and teaches and sustains us is through corporate worship, what we're doing right now. Corporate worship of the people of God week by week, 
by week. And I wanted to begin the year <clears throat> again looking at this key part of our Christian lives, corporate worship, the worship of the people of God, the assembly of God's people. I've tried to take time each uh, at, the, at the beginning of each year um, to refocus our our attention on these things, the worship of the church of Christ. And I don't know if it can be overstated how important and incredible the gift of worship for his people is uh, as we gather together on his day. Right? It is good to regularly re- re- review right, what we believe and why we do what we do. And so I wanted to take this Lord's Day at the beginning of 2023 to reset our focus, or maybe for the first time to look at what Hebrew calls acceptable worship, acceptable worship. And I wonder if you've ever thought about that, that idea, what acceptable worship is, or if there is even such a thing as acceptable worship. Many people in many churches don't really think in those terms. Uh, They would be hard-pressed to say that anything in worship is unacceptable. But is that the case? Is there such a thing as unacceptable worship? Are the types of worship that, regardless of the good intentions, would be unacceptable to the Lord? Well, if we look at Hebrews chapter 12, we have to conclude that there is acceptable worship in distinction from worship that is unacceptable. Because if there's no standard for us to know what acceptable versus unacceptable worship is, it ends up coming down to what? Just what we feel like, right? What we feel like doing. And this is the popular view, of course, right, of many, Just be sincere and really mean it, and that's all cool. It's not merely a matter, as we look at these things, of what are the appropriate instruments to use in worship, or the hymns or songs that we sing, or the age of the music. It's much bigger than that, much more comprehensive and overarching than those incidental things. Uh, We don't want to get bogged down in those issues, the the so-called worship wars of of the decades. Those aren't unimportant, but they're not all important, and they're more downstream from what is really important in regard to what worship is. The important question is, what does God expect and find acceptable from us in corporate worship? That's the question that we're seeking to answer. What is acceptable worship? And we're going to approach this question this morning by looking at Hebrews chapter 12 in more detail to see what we can learn about worship and what is acceptable worship, what the Lord lays out for us that we're doing here, right? Lord's Day by Lord's Day, right? The rest of the world is sleeping in and staying warm, right? And resting and getting ready for the, the rest of the week. But we get up Lord's Day by Lord's Day and come with delight, right? Glorying in the Lord, seeking to be served and to offer worship to Him. What is that? Uh, next week, next week we'll look at the pattern of worship that we see drawn from the pages of Scripture. But this morning, what is it that God expects and accepts in worship? Right? That's the question. Just what are we to do? What are we doing in worship? And I pray that as we look at this text, we'll see that corporate worship is altogether amazing and awesome. Right? I want you to. Uh, I want us to to to, to grow in our uh, reveling in the glory of the Lord and what we're doing. And you children, I would ask, pay particular close attention to what we're going to talk about. This is not unimportant, right? I pray that as we look at this text, we will reorient ourselves to this glorious gift of God, the worship of the church, and that we will be moved to praise and worship him as we do, and more and more and always. 
And so just to reframe where we are to set the context of this passage in Hebrews 12, remember what Hebrews is about. Hebrews is all about the superiority of Christ, the superiority of Jesus, right? It's about the superiority of the person of Christ, of the personhood of Christ, and the superior privileges that Christ's people have by virtue of being united to him. And the author is giving these Hebrews a warning. It's a cautionary tale. And the core of that warning is related to what? To the worship of the church, to worship what they're doing. This is what the warning is. The church there is made up of mostly of Jewish believers. And many of them are wanting and actually leaving to return to Old Testament worship, right? They've left the corporate worship of the church and returned to Old Testament worship, right? In the temple, sacrificial worship with priests and all. This is what they knew and this is what they preferred. And they were longing being pulled to go back to that. And there is this temptation to go back to that physical form and focus of worship that they were familiar with, that was uh, that they could touch, right? And so the he- in Hebrews, which many have recognized uh, as a sermon, right? The book of Hebrews as a sermon to these people. The author there is what he's pleading with them to not go back to the old, not to return to temple worship. And he's telling them that Christ is superior, Right? The Lord Jesus has come. Uh, God is giving them something better, something much better than what was the old way. And in fact, that old way was preparatory and pointing to Jesus, was pointing to Christ. And so what God has offered us in Jesus, and along with him, the worship that God has given, it's superior to the old covenants, because Christ is the culmination to all those pointers and promises and preparation. Right? The fulfillment has come. We're not going back to the type, is the message of Hebrews. And that fulfillment of Jesus Christ and our worship of him is superior to what has come before us, to old covenant worship. And if that's what he's saying, and if that's true, and it is, it's really a no-brainer that new covenant worship would be superior, a better way, Hebrews says, uh, than old covenant worship. That which God ordained, right? God ordained the old way for that epoch, for that time. And even though it was meant to pass away, right? We think if God ordained for a time, that thing is inferior to what is now. How much more could anything that man could come up with uh, be inferior, right? If new covenant worship is superior to the old covenant worship, it should be very clear that new covenant worship is superior to any inventions of man, <clears throat> So let's dig in now to our text this morning. And as we look at it, we'll see that Hebrews gives us a number of reasons why this is the case. A number of reasons why new covenant worship is superior uh, to old covenant worship in the old way. Those are merely types and pointers to what has come. And it gives us some grounding when we look and we try to figure out what it is that is acceptable worship, this phrase that Paul uses here at the end of chapter 12. And what we find when we look at this is that acceptable worship has to do with what? It has to do with a place and a people and a posture, right? A place and a people and a posture. First, Hebrews discusses uh, the place, the place of worship, acceptable worship must be in the right place. Right, what do I mean? Well, what does Hebrews mean? Verses 18 to 22. It begins, he, does, uh, he, he, 
He gives here a comparison of two gatherings, of two assemblies, two church assemblies. And it's a comparison between these two. Look what it says in verse 18 and verse 22. He says, you have not come to a mountain that may be touched. right? And then verse 22, it says, but you have come to a mountain. It's Mount Zion. And what is he talking about there in verse 8? You have not come to a mountain that may be touched. When we look at this passage, we see that it's pretty clear he's talking about Mount Sinai and about Israel who was gathered in the wilderness. Remember, as we read, they came and they gathered for the purpose of uh, to enter into covenant with God on the mountain. And it's clear that that was a physical mountain. It could be touched. But the warning there at that time was what? Do not touch it. Right? Do not touch it. Even if a beast touches the mountain, it will surely die, it says. But for certain, there was a touchable, visible, physical mountain. Hebrews is saying, that's not the mountain you have come to. It says that it is a heavenly mountain that we need to grasp by faith. There's a physical mountain, and then there's a heavenly mountain. right? And we read Deuteronomy 4. And notice in that passage, all of the language that we see here in Hebrews 12. Right, he says, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched. And then he describes the mountain, right? A burning, blazing fire, darkness, gloom, a tempest. So he's describing Sinai. And that event, you'll recall from your Old Testament, that Israel saw, saw and experienced in the wilderness. And he tells the Hebrews, this isn't your reality. This isn't your reality. This is not your worship. As the assembled people of God, he says, you, New Testament Christian church, are not like them on that mountain. You are also a corporate assembly. You have come to a mountain, but it's a different mountain. It's not that. And Hebrews gives this comparison, as we read, between these churches and these assemblies. <clears throat> there is one church and assembly at Mount Zion. I'm sorry, at Mount Sinai in the wilderness. And then there is the church, the assembly of the new covenant the Christians in Hebrews, and they are gathered at a different mountain. They're at Mount Zion. And he says, you're no longer in Sinai, but instead we have come to this rich mountain of grace in the new covenant. So they, like we, come, in verse 22, to Mount Zion. We've come to nothing less than, Hebrews says, Mount Zion, the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem. And he's not here talking about three distinct places, different places, but he's calling the same place by three names. Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. He says, you've come to this one place, this one assembly. In the Old Testament, as you surely know, Zion is just another name for the city of Jerusalem. And we see this throughout the Old Testament. And so the author of Hebrews is telling them they shouldn't go back to the physical place at Jerusalem, because they're currently in Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. And he warns, if you go back to that physical city, Jerusalem will be lost. They want to go back to the holy place, to Jerusalem, to temple worship, right? But the author of the Hebrews is warning them that if they are really concerned about Jerusalem, about Zion, they're already there, even now. You have come to this mountain, to Zion. It's not the physical, not the physical one down in Palestine. And now, if you're paying attention, this might strike us as odd. It should, rather, because the author to the Hebrews says, you're not at Sinai, you're in Jerusalem, right? Track with me. 
But the Jewish Christians, what were they trying to do? They were not trying to go back to Sinai. But Paul equates these two. Right? They weren't making a journey to return to where the Ten Commandments were received. Their desire was not to go to Sinai. They wanted to go back to Jerusalem, physical Jerusalem, where the temple was. And so what the author is doing, you'll see, he's equating these two, Sinai and physical Jerusalem, together. Right, And it's interesting that he does this. And he says they are the same place when you compare them to what? To the true Jerusalem that is now, that now is the heavenly Jerusalem. And this isn't the only place where we see this, uh, where, where, uh, in the New Testament where we see this going on about these mountains, right? Galatians chapter 4, we see the Apostle Paul making the similar comparison, the similar point. In Galatians 4.25, uh, you'll recall Paul uh, says of Hagar, remember, <clears throat> says regarding Hagar, now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and she corresponds to the present Jerusalem. See that? For she is in slavery with her children. Okay, so he's equating these two. And Paul says that Hagar is what a type of mountain, the mountain Sinai. And she tells us where the mountain is. It's in Arabia, a physical location. And then he says, now that mountain corresponds to present Jerusalem, whose children are in slavery even now. He says, Sinai is physical Jerusalem, and all physical Jerusalem's children are in bondage because they've not received the Messiah. And so Paul takes Sinai and Jerusalem, and he makes them parallel, and he combines them together. And Paul goes on in this passage in Galatians, and he says that the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is the mother of us all, speaking of the church, of Christians. And so regarding true worship, Paul says that is no longer Sinai, physical Jerusalem, they're out. That's not the place of worship. And some of you might be making this connection as well to the Gospels, right? The Gospel of John, John chapter 4, when Christ is speaking with this woman at the well. And she asks him a question about worship, a proper place, an acceptable worship. And what did Christ respond, you recall? He said, woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And he says, look, you're no longer going to worship at this mountain nor in Jerusalem. The hour is coming, and now is, when all that's changed. It's not physical mountains on earth, but instead, you worship in Jerusalem that is above. And so Hebrews, in verse 22 of our passage, he calls this Jerusalem heavenly Jerusalem, right? It's in heaven. And it's the same Jerusalem, by the way. Where else do we see a Jerusalem in heaven, this language, right? The last book of our Bibles, of course, right? The book of Revelation, It's the same Jerusalem that we read of there that will come down on the last day. Revelation 21, verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. He showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Right? And so the author of Hebrews is saying that's where you are right now. It's where you are right now. As a corporate assembly, when you come together to worship in the church, as the church, he's telling them, you don't need to go down to Jerusalem. 
because you're really in Jerusalem, the true heavenly city, as you come to worship him. And where is it? It's up in heaven where God is. That's where you are when you are gathered together in corporate assembly. That's an incredible thing. It's an incredible thing to reflect upon, the promise and the declaration of the reality of what's going on. It's something that should truly blow our minds. That's where we are when we're gathered. Right? Do you see that? And again, especially you children, right? think about what's going on there. You're not coming just to, uh, to disrupt your, your mornings. Right? We're being drawn up into heaven. That's awesome. We're drawn up to heaven itself even now. Right? Do you believe that? Do you believe it? It's awesome. It's hard for us to really let that sink in and to detach from the rest of our lives. Right? We're, our minds have a hard time thinking that this is true. Because it sure looks like we're here in Indiana in a little brick church with parking struggles and construction going on. Right? But what we read here is that when we are answer God's call to come into worship, we aren't simply here. Rather, we've been called up into heaven itself and are assembled in the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. That's a declaration of the reality of our situation. I know it's very hard to comprehend that truth, right? We are so physically uh, minded and physically tethered. But that's one of the reasons we come, Lord's Day by Lord's Day. You're reminded of the reality and pulled back into what's really real. It's difficult, but know for certain, brothers and sisters, that when you are beaten down from this life in this pilgrim land throughout your week, when you are weak from the journey, from the world and the devil and your own flesh, know that Lord's Day by Lord's Day, he calls you to come and to experience a foretaste of glory in worship, worship with the people of God. And he calls you to taste a small sample of what that heavenly worship will be like. Even here as we gather week by week in this small brick building. And by it, he strengthens and he grows us and he refreshes you as we do so. Acceptable worship is in the right place. The book of Hebrews, the New Testament tells us. We need to grasp that heavenly worship is, be, uh, this worship is because what he tells us next, we're going to look at, intensifies the glory of what's going on in worship. Again, framing our reality again, having our brainwashed minds washed with the truth of God's word, reminded of the truth. And he says acceptable worship is in the right place, right? The heavenly city. And then second, it's with the right place or with, I mean, with the right people or the right company. Right? Verses 22 to 24. We are drawn into glory in corporate worship to the heavenly city. And who is there when we come to worship? Who is there with whom we worship? Again, verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, into the city of the living God, to the the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. Right? It's an amazing thing. Again, I keep drawing attention to the children. Listen 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 to what the Lord is telling you here. You've come to Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. Right? It says you are gathered here as you are, you're gathered to innumerable angels, myriads, thousands upon thousands. And he says, not only should you not go back to physical Jerusalem, but when you gather for corporate worship, you are surrounded with thousands upon a myriad of angels. 
That's happening even now. And this is the same group of angels right, that you read about in Revelation 5 when John was taken up into heaven and shown what it was like. And he says there in Revelation 5.11, he heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads, myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, right? How many 10,000 times 10,000, right? It's an uh, uh, it's, uh, emphatic, right, the number, multiply, exponential. And this is what Hebrews is saying as well, that the vision that John saw of all these angels surrounding the throne, when you come and worship in the church as the church, that is where you are. Right? That's the reality of where we are. And again, notice what kind of gathering it is, right? It's not a dirge. It's not a funeral. It's not a memorial in the term of a funeral. The gathering of angels is what? It's festal, festal, celebratory gathering. And we see in Revelation the song that they sing, Worthy are you, O Lamb, who was slain to receive glory and honor and power and blessing. They're taken up in song about this slain and risen Christ who now rules in their midst. And the author of the Hebrews is telling them, he's telling us that as the church, that is what we are called to when we come to worship. In worship, we've been caught up into heaven. You're part of that scene right now. Angels are truly present in our midst. And so true worship, acceptable worship, right worship, is with the right people, and it's uh, and the first of those people we read about is these myriad and thousands of angels. Uh, the next thing he goes on to tell us in verse twenty-three: You are also with the assembly, the church of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven. We read here in Hebrews again; it's the same language from um, the discussion regarding those gathered at Sinai. In the New Testament word that's used here for church. Uh, ecclesia, you guys probably know this, the called out ecclesia. And this is what the assembled church in, Israel, in, uh, in Sinai was called, right? The Greek translation of the Old Testament. That's the same word in Deuteronomy 4, in Exodus 19. Israel is called the ecclesia in the wilderness. And they're also called God's firstborn son. Israel is referred to as God's firstborn son, right? Remember, recall when uh, God speaks to Pharaoh, he says, let Israel go. For he is my son, even my firstborn son. And again, it's important for us to understand what's going on in the book of Hebrews. These Jewish Christians are being tempted to go back to old, the old ways. And they're afraid that they've thrown off their birthright. And that there are some who are doubting if Christ, in fact, is the way. And so they're wanting to return the allure to go back to worship in the temple in, in, uh, uh, to Judaism. In this book is telling them, Hebrews is telling them, that's not where the gathering of the firstborn is. And Hebrews is saying, whoever gathers together in this assembly is God's church. It's his assembly, his firstborn sons, those who are enrolled in heaven. And the dividing wall, right, that separated them has been abolished forever. They're no longer those who are far off, Gentiles, and those who are near, Jews. No longer. But all who gather become part of the 
assembly of the firstborn God. And so we gather not only with the Christians in this room, our brothers and sisters in Christ, but with all the saints who presently worship the Lord. Right? And we worship in the Spirit. And as we do so, all of God's people are caught up into that same assembly. And then notice who else is here, it says. right? Myriads of angels, the saints, and who else? It says God, who is judge over all. God is there. He's called judge in this assembly. Hebrews could have used various words to describe, uh, to title uh, God, <clears throat> various terms to describe him, but he says judge because of what God is. He's present in our midst, on his throne, as Father, yes, but he also comes as judge to show who we are and who we are not. God is there. And next we see it says the spirit of just men made perfect are there as well. We come to this mountain, the spiritual Jerusalem. Right? And this is all true believers throughout history. Right? From the Old Testament all the way till now, God says they're gathered there as well as the assembly in heaven. And also it says what next? Christ is there. Christ is there, the mediator. And praise God that he is. Right? That's why the judge being there is not terrifying because our mediator is there. Jesus, the mediator, our King and our Redeemer, the mediator is there. When we come and worship, of course, this is the promise of the Bible. And God sees you, you who've trusted your life for him, clothed what in a spotless perfection of that mediator. That's glorious indeed. And then Hebrews says what? We've come to the sprinkled blood, it says, that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Remember, this reference that he's giving here. God came and he judged Cain, right? And he said, I've heard the blood of your brother crying out. And what was it crying out for? It's crying out for justice. Crying out for justice. Justice against the sin when Cain murdered Abel, his brother. Hebrews is telling us here, Christ's blood is in this assembly. And it speaks for something better on our behalf. Not merely justice, but what? The grace, the grace. It was the lamb who received justice when he took the penalty that we deserved. And that's why it's joyous and delightful and wonderful that we can be there boldly before God the judge. It's an amazing thing. And so according to scriptures, the church is gathered in the heavenly city, Jerusalem, even now. That's the place. And the people, the company, right? we are gathered together with myriads and myriads of angels and all the saints who've come before in all of history and all the saints still on earth, all simultaneously with us together. And God the judge is there and with him, the mediator, Jesus. And it's his blood that speaks on our behalf. Grace for you, because it was justice for Christ. And this gathering is the one that Hebrews is telling us we've come to. This is where we've come. This is the gathering we've come to. Isn't that staggering? Isn't that, it's incomprehensible, it's incredible. This is the reality of worship. In your prayer, in your meditation, in your preparation for worship, before we come, has this truth settled into your minds and your hearts? Do you trust God's word here when it tells you these things? Or do you think, oh, if only that were true? 
Do you think that? Or do you, by faith, trust what God is telling us here and embrace it with certainty, as a certainty? You are truly there. This is the reality of the glorious assembly to which we have come when we come to worship. And the author is telling them, all of those things that you want to go back to, they are pathetic and weak and dismal compared to the reality of what and where you now are as the assembled church in worship. All of that pointed, all those things you want to go back to, pointed to what we have in Christ. And he is here with you, along with all the rest that he mentions. And these things drive our, our worship, and they drive our order of worship. They drive our liturgy, which is just the ordering of things, the way we do things. And we don't put these things together because we want to be different, or we want to be old, or we want to be against contemporary worship. That's not what drives us. It's not, it's not why we do the things that we do. It's no small thing when we come as God's church to worship him. You have gathered corporately with the church universal in heaven and on earth, and all of God's angels before him on his throne, and Christ in the throne, uh, on the throne seated next to the Lord. That's the scene, and if that's true, and it is, it's reflexive and natural that it would change our focus from yourself Right? And any other thing, and put your focus on him, on him. And so when your minds seem distracted, all of us, all, all ages, you children and you adults, be distracted. That's the things that we need to remember. That's what we're doing. We're coming to do business with the Lord. He's coming to serve us. And our, if we, if this is true and we focus on these things, our worship certainly will be affected by this reality. And so the type of worship that is acceptable will be formed and, and, and affected by the place of worship and the people in worship. Hebrews both demands proper, acceptable worship, he says, and it defines, us, defines it as well. And this worship is a gift from God. It's a gift from God as well to his people. And then lastly, what is acceptable worship? Hebrews tells us it's worship with the right posture. The right posture, verses 25 to 29. In that posture that Hebrews is referring to, it says that worship is what it's joyful, full of gratitude, with reverence and awe. That is acceptable worship. Do you see that in the text? After telling us where we are and who we are with, verse 28 tells us, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship. And then he defines what that is, with reverence and awe, with reverence and awe. And he tells us why. For God is a consuming fire. God is a consuming fire. This church in Hebrews is being warned not to refuse and reject God. He told him in verse 4, and he's telling him again here, don't go back to inferior worship. Christ came so you no longer would have to worship like that. He fulfilled, he's the substance of those things, the sum and substance. There is something better for you, Hebrews. He's telling them. Back at Sinai, it was the very, uh, it was a very grave thing for those who refused and rejected him. And that way is inferior. We've come to a superior way, to the better way, again, it says. Christ is here with us, and with him, the angels too. And Hebrews is saying that if you neglect and you refuse him now, how will you escape? 
How will you escape? And notice also in this verse, right, it puts to bed this silly notion, right, that there is uh, a sentimental softening of God from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, right? That is not a thing of reality. It's not a thing of Scripture. The sentimental softening of God, right? The Old Covenant God at Sinai was mean, but the New Covenant God is nicer. He's just nice. That's not the testimony of Scripture. God does not change. It's not that God was dangerous then, but thankfully now he's just nice and safe. What does verse 29 say? He's a consuming fire. He's a consuming fire. The same God who was on Sinai is here in our midst. That's what Hebrews is telling us. And that's why the warning. That's why we offer acceptable worship. And this should inform our worship, brothers and sisters. And we see it's informed by reverence and awe because of who God is. Because God does not change, and he still yet is a consuming fire. Verse 29 tells us. And so we come with joy because we're forgiven. And we come in gratitude because of all that he's promised you. But when we come, we come with reverence and awe. right? With reverence and awe. And it's a joyful, thankful delight as we do. We often think that grace is something that has to do, or that has domesticated or neutered God. And grace has come now. But grace has been extended throughout all of Scripture. He does not change. It was gracious that, he, that, that, that the Lord did not wipe out Adam and Eve when they sinned, but in grace he allowed them to live and go on. And he promised them life. God is still the judge of all. He is still and forever holy, holy, uncompromisingly holy. And when we come before him, we come before him as he is holy, perfect, and pure. And the only possible way or reason that we can come at all before him is because Jesus, our mediator, is there and because his blood was shed in our place. And the more we realize this, the more it will catapult us to greater reverence and greater awe in our worship, in our standing before him as his people. And are you grasping the reality of this? What a delight to come and reflect upon these things together as his people, to grasp this. Because the more that we do, we could never think that church is boring, right? This is true, and it is. What is the Lord telling us here? What is boring about that? And when people actually see and grasp it, they find that they actually want to be here. And they actually are taking part of that event, Brothers and sisters, this great and glorious reality should drive us to certain things. It should drive us to think about the way we enter into worship as his people. It should drive us to prepare ourselves before we come. It should drive us to sing with all of our heart to this great and glorious God. It should drive us to see that showing joy and gratitude is expected when we come, not begrudging, not with a bored attitude or a bored mindset. What is going on here? Because truly, what you can only see by faith is actually taking place, as he tells us in his word. And if God would just reveal to you what was here, what he tells us, if he would only reveal to us, it surely would change the way we worship at church. Even we who take these things very seriously and care deeply about the worship of the Lord.
But he has revealed to us. He has shown us in his word. And we have to accept it by faith because it's true. We could go on and on, but let us just focus on these things again from Hebrews. The place that we are brought in worship, the people, the company that we keep, and the posture we are to have because of who God is. It should amaze you that God wants to take part in worship with you this morning. It should amaze you that he calls us at all. It should truly blow your minds. And so let us, brothers and sisters, by faith, grasp what is truly going on when we come to worship as the people of God, as his people. And let us, as a result, come with hearts full of joy for what Christ has done for us, for his accomplishment of our salvation. It is accomplished. It is done. And that he is seated at the right hand of God. Your sins have been dealt with fully, finally, forever. And that should truly make you rejoice. We've been purchased with the price and are now living sacrifices to God. And so we come in full reverence and awe before this Lord. He has come to do business with you today and Lord's Day by Lord's Day. He's come to feed you by word and spirit. He's come to feed you at the table and to, to know once again who you are and that you are at peace with him. So Christian, believe. Believe by faith and come again and again and again with great thanksgiving and joy and reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. And praise him that all that was needed to escape that fire, that punishment, due to us, was provided for us powerfully and completely in our faithful Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, we, we come again before you. We praise you that you have not left us without instruction or direction in this life, especially regarding how we are to approach you and worship you. Lord, we thank you that you have given us your word, that you've been kind to us and sought us and called us, to yourself and cleansed us in Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would help us to believe these things that we read. We we pray that you would increase our faith. We thank you that you've established for our weak and feeble souls the means of grace to remind us and to seal us and to communicate to us again the benefits of our salvation in Christ, all that he earned for us. We ask, Lord, continue to tune our hearts for glory in this life until we arrive. Lord, we pray for the households represented here this morning of this church, even those who are not with us. Lord, bless us, strengthen us. Grant to us your spirit to faithfully serve you and live for you in all the stations of life you brought us and all the roles that you placed us in. Father, we pray for our children. Bless them, Lord. They are yours. Guide us to model for them and to teach them the most valuable thing that we have, and that's the truth of the gospel and life in Christ. Father, protect them, we pray. And we pray for your people, Lord. Whatever you might, we might endure in this life, that you, we would see our God and our King, that you are faithful and gracious to us, and that you are our sure refuge amidst it all, even unto glory. Work through us, we pray, Lord, even us, to be the light of Christ in this world. Father, we pray, provide for our needs, especially this year as we begin again. And help us to better reach this city with the purity of the gospel. Direct our ways, we pray, dear Lord. Be merciful to us. Strengthen us spiritually. And again, we pray, conform us evermore 
into the image of our King, your Son. For it's in his name that we pray all these things. Amen.